Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. This is Desi Jadikin. Hey, Desi. What's up? Um, we're going to start off. By thanking the people who subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. There you get a lot of additional content only available to our subscribers. Things like ad-free episodes, bonus content. You get access to any polls we might do as well as our Discord server. Uh, There's lots of stuff going on over there. And you can talk to us on Discord. Yeah, we're there posting our food pics. We post all kinds of pictures there. Talking about reality TV. There's lots of little uh, chat groups. Movie chats. Mm. So last week we had Melissa, Lauren, Karina, Ruth, Angela, Jamie, Becca, Aaron, Sarah, Bon, Jody, Hannah, Serena, Valentina, Kay, Haley, Amna, Trisha, Christy, Amy, and Natalie. Thank you guys so much. Okay, Desi, this is part two of L. Ewing Scott. Now, my main source for this episode is the book Corpus Delecti by Diane Wagner. And I also used some newspaper articles, which I will mention in the episode. I texted Desi last night. I said, look, this is going to be a three-parter. There's too much stuff happening. Okay. Couldn't get to it all this week. You got to do what you got to do. So buckle up, bitches. (laughs) This is part two. Now, where we last left off, it was July of 1955, and Los Angeles DA Ernest Roll began informally investigating the disappearance of 63-year-old society matron Evelyn Scott. Meanwhile, her husband, L. Ewing Scott, had started dating a new wealthy widow named Harriet. Though Scott had attempted to woo Harriet in the same way he had wooed Evelyn, their romance cooled. As Harriet found Scott's story of his wife leaving him strange, after a few months of dating, Harriet realized that this guy was a weirdo. I mean, she was dating someone whose wife just disappeared slash probably died. So, I mean, (laughs) going into it sort of been a red flag. (laughs) Yeah, like she, she found his stories really suspicious. I just... I'm always baffled by people who commit a crime and possibly could get away with it, but they just can't resist going out to start date again. Do you he, know what I mean? Like, yeah, he he couldn't just like lay low. He had to like get back into the game immediately. Date it's a, bizarre. Date a new wealthy widow, and not only that, but he was really over the top in his shit talking of Evelyn, right? To her and also to everyone else. Like he kept telling her, "Oh, she's a secret lesbian." It's disrespectful. Even if you were on the verge of divorce and you hated your wife, in this circumstance, uh, I don't trust anyone who isn't like respectful 
at the very least. Yeah, he was just trying to scandalize people by saying, oh, she's she's um, she has a girlfriend on the side or she's an alcoholic. Like he's picking all these things right. to make people be like, oh, wow. Well, that makes sense that she absconded yes. somewhere. Anyway, the whole story sounded fishy to Harriet. Scott asked Harriet if she wanted to accompany him on a cruise the following spring. <laughs> Jesus Christ. You can't even get away with this kind of shit anymore. No. No, no one in their right mind would do that. <laughs> well, she said no. Good for her. She's like, I don't want to go on a cruise with you. Yeah. I'm not going into international <laughs> waters with you, buddy. And accidentally fallen. <laughs> we know what happens. We've seen Dateline. Yeah. Okay. But Scott booked a luxury ticket set to depart in March of 1956 to the West Indies. So he was going to go anyway, just as a treat. Nice. He's like, I want to go on a little treat to, for myself. <laughs> Meet another wealthy widow. Who he, knows? Possibly, because yeah. this was like an expensive cruise. So Harriet officially broke things off with Scott by the fall of 1955. Then he began dating a new woman named Marianne. There actually seems to have been some overlap between the dating of Marianne. It was sort of like Marianne seemed like his backup. Oh, I don't doubt it. <laughs> he For al- sure. And he also told Marianne about his missing wife. He, he had to bring it up. He's, he's kind of using it as sympathy, right? I think that was yeah. one of his tactics. So Scott tells his new girlfriend, Marianne, the same story he told Harriet. My wife's a lesbian. She's an alcoholic. She deserted me. I'm a sad boy. Yeah. And he then started giving her gifts. Now, the gifts he was giving her were personal items that had belonged to Evelyn Scott, mm. his wife. Regifting. He's doing a lot of regifting. <laughs> he would end up proposing to Marianne the following January. Meanwhile, Evelyn's friend, Bill Bronner, who was the respected Los Angeles attorney, was continuing to chase down leads. He called up every hospital in Baltimore and New York, which is where Ewing Scott had said his wife was in a sanitarium. Right. None of them had ever heard of Evelyn Scott before. He then got in contact with Evelyn's brother, Raymond. Raymond was unaware of his sister's disappearance as their relationship had been rocky since she married Scott. Bronner offered his hunch that Scott had something to do with it and urged him to take legal action. You know the husband is like, fucking Bronner, stop it. <laughs> That's like classic, like, and I'd get away with it too if it wasn't for fucking Bronner, always poking his nose and everything. Oh, yeah. He's, he's very nosy. He's like Lundy in Dexter. Yeah, it's so irritating to him. Except, except Scott is, um, could never be Dexter. No. He's he wishes because <laughs> Scott's shitty. No, I mean, killing the wife is breaking the code. Dexter yeah. would never. <laughs> Dexter would never. And also Scott was ugly. That's true too. And not horny. No. So he's, he's like, you need to go to the DA. Like we need to get as many people in her circle pressuring law enforcement and the district attorney. Right. To look so they into do this, something. To look into this guy. Because at this point, the investigation is off the books. It's informal. It's just 
her friends investigating and the DA has been doing an informal, unofficial investigation. Because technically there's no evidence of a crime. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So Raymond spoke to the DA who told him that he was also suspicious of Scott, but there was no evidence to connect him to her disappearance. Right. Everything was circumstantial because... And because there was no formal police investigation happening, Raymond began doing his own digging. He would like snoop outside of the Scott residence several times looking for answers. He would just kind of like hang out. Yeah. And hide around and just like look. Get his little magnifying glass out. <laughs> yeah. He'd be all like hunched down in his car, like with a hat over uh, his eyes. It would be fun to investigate something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm on the case. <laughs> um, yeah, nosy girls loved Harriet the Spy. I just, yeah, it's a passion. But when it, it's like only can happen if something bad in your life happens. So it's like you don't really want it. Right. You know, like if right. you go missing and I'm yeah, spying you, on Brendan, like, what's he doing? <laughs> it just needs, it need, that's why it has to be a low stakes yeah, mystery. It needs to be low stakes. It needs to be low stakes. So, Scott was finally confronted by Raymond one of the times. Ooh. This is in November of 1955. And Raymond just was like, where's my sister, bro? Yeah. Where is she? And Scott replied, I don't know where she is. She's probably out drunk somewhere. Raymond then called Scott a goddamn liar. (gasps) He knew his sister wasn't a drunk. Then Scott called Evelyn crazy, and then he made a remark about Raymond's stay in a mental hospital because he had mental health issues. And he's like, well, you're the crazy one. Yeah, who's going to believe you? Exactly. Raymond then asked Scott why he never filed a missing persons report, and Scott responded that he had already spoken to the DA and they were looking for her, so why should I look for her? He's like, someone's looking for her. Yeah, what do you want me to do? I'm busy. I've got a cruise. <laughs> I'm packing for my cruise. <laughs> He's like, I don't need to file a report. Yeah. In November, Scott tried unsuccessfully to enter Evelyn's safe deposit box again. This time, the manager told him no because he had become aware of the quiet investigation mm. by the DA. He then notified the DA of Scott's attempt. That December, Scott sent out Christmas cards to all of Evelyn's friends. <laughs> Boy. This is deranged. This he, is crazy. He got Christmas cards and he had them engraved from Evelyn and Ewing Scott and sent them out to everyone. He should have done, you know, when people do those letters, they're like, here's what our 1955 was. Right. Evelyn was in a sanatorium. <laughs> like he did like his whole like alibi in the letter or yeah, something. Yeah, like the family newsletter, but it's yeah. like my drunk wife yeah. with a girlfriend on the side. Evelyn's been drinking again, so you know what that <laughs> Just doing all these horrible things. Yeah. The friends were not pleased. I mean, this is pretty fucked up. Yeah. DA Ernest Roll had hired a handwriting expert who determined that the signature on the co-renter's agreement form for Evelyn's safe deposit box was forged. He's like, this is clearly somebody traced this. Yeah. It's not real. Roll's investigators also tracked down Scott's first wife and spoke to her. She told them that Scott had been both physically and emotionally abusive toward her. Mm. 
On the night of February 13th, 1956, Scott was picked up at the Jonathan Club <gasps> by DA Rolls investigator Nick Samino. Samino drove Scott back to Bel Air, where him and Rolls' other investigators conducted an hours-long interrogation that went into the next afternoon. Also present at the interrogation was Raymond Throsby. Scott remained composed for hours, up until around 5 a.m., when they noticed a deviation in his story. He told them that the last time he saw his wife was on May 16th, when he left their home to pick her up some toothpaste. But investigators asked him why he told them earlier that it was Evelyn who left their house to go on that errand. When they questioned him on this, he insisted, no, I've always said it was me who went to the drugstore. I didn't say she left the house. I said I left the house. And then when I came back, she was gone. Trust me, I have practiced this many times. (laughs) This story. (laughs) Yeah, and that's basically what he said. Raymond became heated at this point, and he called Scott a cheap, lying son of a bitch. I don't know why they had the brother. That seems unprofessional. Why didn't they have the brother there? there. Scowl. Yeah. That's a lie. (laughs) He's like the peanut gallery. Also, I guess they weren't recording things during this period. This seems very sketchy. It seems like also unofficial because he's not arrested, right? I think that's why it was so informal because, yeah, they can't go to the police station because this isn't an official police matter. Right. So that's probably why... Even if he fucked up the story, it's really irrelevant. Yeah. Uh, He doesn't have a lawyer present. Yeah. He's, they're in his house. They're basically strong arming him into talking. And he's the type of guy who's like, I can do this. Yeah. He's, (laughs) he might be a sociopath. Yeah. So he's able to just be cool. Yeah. At this point. Um, Then Raymond said, I think you murdered my sister for money. The investigators pressed Scott some more, asking if he ever told anyone that Evelyn had checked into a sanatorium. And he's like, I never told anyone she checked into a sanatorium. Oh. Then he he said once again that Evelyn had a drinking problem. Scott continued telling them that she had cancer and it had spread to various parts of her body. So not only was she a drunk, she's riddled with cancer. Mm. By this time, investigators noticed that Scott had been chewing on his lips so much that it began to bleed. Twelve hours into the interrogation, investigator Samino picked up a book on a nearby desk. It was a self-published 100-page book written by Scott called How to Fascinate Men. What? (laughs) This was a side project of his. Oh, my God. He wrote a guidebook. I thought you were going to say, How to Kill Your Wife. (laughs) It's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> that would be lucky. Yeah. That'd be so convenient. We've got you, Scott. It's fiction. <laughs> <laughs> the book was a guide for women on how to find a wealthy husband. The On the cover of the book featured, it was like a picture of a woman showing off her engagement ring and winking Oh my God. I can't believe we've been making these kind of books for so long, right? It's yeah. like the rules <laughs> yeah. for 1955 and written by a man. Yeah, this is like a proto the rules. And there are some expert excerpts of his book in Diane Wagner's book. And mm. it is like, it's so fucking stupid. Basically, 
he urges women to apply the same skills that a successful businessman would to his company to pursuing a husband. Mm. He's like, you need to take care, like, take inventory of your stock and like, tits, fat ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's sort of like the whole goal is like not about finding love. It's about nabbing, nabbing a rich guy. Yeah. Um, the interrogation concluded with questions about money. Scott claimed that he had his own assets from his very successful investment business back in St. Louis. Oh, right. Now, that was not a successful <laughs> business. In fact, he only had one potential client and that fell through. But he said, oh, I've, I'm independently yeah. wealthy. I learned a lot from that experience. And who can measure success any other way? Right. Yeah. <laughs> And no, he said, I can't prove it because all the money that I ever gave to Evelyn was in cash. I she, gave her I gave her lots of money. She put it in that safe deposit box. I'm just trying to get it. <laughs> my money. That's my money. <laughs> the interrogation finally ended at 4 p.m. And that night, it was Valentine's Day. So he had to pick up Marianne for a date. <sighs> he told her he had been beaten up by the goons at the DA's office. Wow. Anyway... I think we should take a break here. We'll be right back. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money, and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. Rakuten's Big Give Week is back with 15% cash back. It's a festival of savings with big cash back at hundreds of stores. Don't miss headliners like Canon, Fenty Beauty, and Dyson. I can't wait to shop for all of my summer fashion and beauty needs, and we'll definitely be checking out Ulta and Adidas. 
Rakuten really is the best way to shop. You can really save by stacking cash back on top of other deals. And during Big Give Week, the cash back is bigger than ever. It's the time to shop for everything you need for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Membership is free, and it's all happening May 6th to May 13th. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost on top of Big Give Week cashback rates. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app today. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Rakuten is the shopping platform to save while shopping. The DA had his team surveilling Scott's house. They were camped out there looking for him, any comings and goings. But by this point, Scott had been staying at the Jonathan Club, so they didn't see much of anything. A month later, in March, the LA Times and the Los Angeles Examiner picked up the story of the missing Evelyn Scott. This is nearly a year (gasps) since she was last seen. This finally hits the newspapers. The Times headline read, Wealthy matron missing nine months. Husband fails to file report. L.A. Police Chief Bill Parker was furious with D.A. Ernest Roll when he saw the story. He was like, why didn't you tell us? Yeah. You're doing this quiet investigation. You didn't, you didn't tell us about it. And he's like, and I look bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the investigation then became official with the police department, and they brought on a team of detectives working alongside the D.A. and his team. After L. Ewing Scott's name was splashed across the papers, a debt collector from the Wolper Printing Press sent officers out to the Jonathan Club to collect the $6,000 that Scott owed them for printing his book. Ugh. They're like, that's that guy. Yeah. He's at the Jonathan Club. Go, go, go get him now. <laughs> and you picture him swimming his little breaststroke laps. Yeah. <laughs> like, Excuse, Excuse me, me sir. sir. He's in that full length bathing suit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he has his glasses on for some reason in the pool. Yes. He's like, I have to finish. It's for my digestion. It's it's for like- my- <laughs> <laughs> I'm having flatulence issues. It's, it's for my good health. I'm taking a tonic after this. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, he owed them $6,000 for the 1,000 copies of his book that they had printed Ugh. for him, but no one bought. Scott fled the Jonathan Club when they <gasps> arrived. So he, he got away from them. <laughs> he, he ran out in he his trunk. He skedaddled out of there. <laughs> shaking water out of his pant leg. <sighs> Scott then hired attorney Charles Beardsley. Beardsley told Scott, you better cancel your cruise to the West Indies. Those tickets are (laughs) non-refundable. And, you know, the cruise was like a week away. Shit. He had to cancel that. He then voluntarily went into the DA's office with his lawyer where they questioned him again. Unfortunately, the interview turned up nothing. He hadn't already told them. It was the same shit. Right. The following day, Scott returned to the DA's office with his lawyer. He said, guys, I've got some information which might help your investigation into my missing wife. He told them that when he married Evelyn, he thought he was only her third husband, but he was actually her fifth, (gasps) which was common knowledge. But he's like, I was shocked by that. Hmm. I didn't know I was husband number five. Yeah, I thought I was three. Big difference. (laughs) That's a horse of a different color. Uh, 
then he said he later discovered um, that two of those husbands had died. And he's like, I'm very suspicious of that. Wow. Why, why, did, why did two of her husbands die? Why yeah. were they cremated? Technically, I'm, I'm lucky. I'm lucky I'm here. <laughs> like he's trying to implicate her. Like she's this black widow. Yes, exactly. Now, the medical examiners were later interviewed again after or, or for the first time since the people died. They, they were like, can we confirm that this is these medical reports are correct? And they were. They died of natural causes. They weren't murdered by Evelyn, right. Evelyn Scott. And the cremation had nothing to do with anything suspicious, obviously. He then accused Evelyn of having a secret son. That was the next thing he threw at the wall and proposed that perhaps she had traveled back to the East Coast to live with him. He then produced an old photograph of a man with a young boy, insinuating that this young boy could be her secret son. See, there's a boy in this photo. (laughs) Now, the boy in the photo was later identified to be a picture of Evelyn's younger brother when he was a boy. With their uncle. That's a pretty... I mean, couldn't you tell by the age of the photograph? It was an old photo. <laughs> it's like a daguerreotype. <laughs> yeah. It's like printed on iron or yeah. whatever they did. Steel. <laughs> Steel. It's Look, like a metal photo. It looks like one of those old... Remember those old Western photos you could take? Yes. <laughs> the little be a tone. Hmm. <laughs> kind of suspicious. The man in the photo is wearing like that... <laughs> curly push broom mustache with yeah. like a little garter on his yeah. sleeve. Like, hmm. I swear it's from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, he then launched into stories of her mental problems. He said he wasn't exactly sure of the names of the mental hospitals she had previously stayed at, but she definitely stayed at some mental hospitals. Yeah. Whatever. Just make them <laughs> just like. <laughs> he couldn't come up with a single name. Sergeant Xander told Scott that they had spoken with Evelyn's physician, and he said her only health problems were her occasional diverticulitis flare-ups. So Mm. how do you explain that? Yeah. Next, they launched into a line of questioning regarding his wife's jewelry and why he canceled the insurance on it in July of 1955. Scott said, well, my wife wasn't wearing it anymore, so I canceled it and put it in a safe place. Scott then claimed that that jewelry had belonged to his mother and he gave it to Evelyn. He's like, that wasn't even hers. Hmm. But that, that's confusing though, because that seems like, wouldn't it be more suspicious if he kept the insurance and filed a claim? I don't know what he did because the. But why we- were the police suspicious that he canceled the insurance? Because maybe they thought, oh, she's, he knows she's not coming back. Okay. He doesn't want to pay the insurance right. on it. They questioned him about what exactly he was looking for in Evelyn's safe deposit box. He said, I was looking for a contract form from my book publisher. He then strangely claimed that he didn't even write the book. He's like, a friend wrote that book. I just financed it. He said, he, I think he was embarrassed of the book. Yeah. Because they had read it by this point. <laughs> and they might have been dunking on the contents of it. Oh, I bet they were. They're like, oh, so they're probably reading excerps and laughing. Did you say, <laughs> yeah, like, can you imagine? That's He's juicy. like, I didn't write it. Yeah. I just financed it. 
He said he received Evelyn's signature for the co-renter's agreement to the safe deposit box at the same time as he got her signature to open up another bank account in Van Nuys. He had an answer for everything regarding his financial activity in the time after she had last been seen. When asked why he told Evelyn to liquidate all of her assets, he denied it. He's like, I never told her to do that. That was her idea. Hmm. Scott then agreed to a police search of his Bel Air home, as long as him and his lawyer could be present. The search commenced the following morning. Reporters swarmed the property. One of the reporters was a guy that Scott knew from the Jonathan Club, and he went over and was like, hey, what's up? (laughs) Scott escorted the police chief, the detectives, the crime lab techs, a crime scene photographer, and a forensic chemist into his home. They combed over the downstairs portion of the house, and they weren't turning up anything. Scott walked over to a bookcase in the den and said, hey, look over here. Then he flipped a switch, and the bookcase opened. Why did he show them that? (laughs) (laughs) Because it had all this, it was a secret liquor cabinet. Oh. And he's like, this is my wife's stash. Oh, I see. I thought it was like, here's a secret room where I did the killing. (laughs) Like... (laughs) No, he was just trying to show, look how much, this is how much of an alcoholic she is. She has a secret alcohol room. And one of the investigators was like, well, if she's such an alcoholic, why didn't she take all that liquor with her? Why'd she leave that behind? And he was like, well, she's rich. She's got more. She's got other secret stashes. (laughs) She can buy more alcohol. After the search inside of the home was done, some of the investigators drove with Scott to a location on Kelton Avenue that he said Evelyn sometimes parked her car. When they pulled up to Kelton Avenue, Scott told investigators, this is where my wife has a secret girlfriend. This is like she lives around here. Hmm. Other investigators who stayed behind to continue the search outside of the Scott's home, they were searching in the yard for the body. And their technique for probing, they didn't want to dig up every square inch of land, so they had this probing technique that sound, just from what I read, sounds very primitive they would just stick a pole into the ground (laughs) and like see if any touched anything soft it's not moving might be something here it's not it's not dirt it's a Uh, body it's another tree root (laughs) (laughs) they only found the only bones or remains that they found in the yard were the bones of a cat Hmm. at least someone gave him a burial that's true Sergeant Art Hurdle walked around to the service yard where the clothesline was. Here, there was an incinerator built into the wall. It was a low wall that was on the edge of the property. On the other side of this wall was the neighbor's property. Mm. He noticed that it appeared to have already been examined by a crime scene tech. But Sergeant Hurdle jumped over the wall and into some leaves. Amongst the leaves, he discovered a portion of a set of dentures with five teeth attached to it. He then found a pile of half-dissolved white pills and some half-melted yellow capsules. Nearby, he found a can of that special toothpaste that Evelyn used. (gasps) Then he found a cigarette holder, some jewelry, a hairbrush, and a tube of ultrasol. He then found two pairs of glasses a few feet away. Sergeant Hurdle quietly gathered these items and told the other investigators of his findings. Nobody in the investigation team wanted to let the press know of this discovery yet. Right. 
The pill remnants were sent to the lab for analysis. The substance was later determined to be the medicine that Evelyn took (gasps) for her diverticulitis. The contents found in the incinerator were analyzed and discovered inside the clumps of all this cinder were 20 hosiery fasteners. They found a woman's belt buckle and some thin shreds of fabric. They also found a metal spatula and some very small bone fragments. After closer analysis, however, these bones were determined to have come from lamb chops. Oh. When Scott was interviewed about why they found the remnants of women's garments among the ashes, he was like, oh, well, Evelyn had soiled some of her dresses. So I'm <laughs> He can't stop at any turn to disgrace his wife. Oh, yeah, she was drunk and soiled herself. I was like, just burn it. (laughs) (laughs) This guy sucks so bad. (laughs) The dentures did not yield any fingerprints. They were too destroyed by the elements in the yard for nine months. But Evelyn's dentist examined them and concluded, yeah, that's my work. That belonged to her. The dentist said that he last saw Evelyn on May 13th, 1955, which was a few days before she went missing. And he said there would have been no reason for her to have thrown out those dentures. They were perfectly fine. They were great. Evelyn's eye doctor determined that the two pairs of glasses found by Sergeant Hurdle were hers. He determined this by matching the prescription as well as matching the specific frames she had ordered. He had hand-fitted the frames into the lenses himself, and he was like, I know what my work looks like. Wow. That's what she ordered. That's her prescription. Those are her glasses. While these were exciting discoveries, they didn't necessarily prove a murder had taken place or that Scott had committed one. They had dentures and eyeglasses and a host of other circumstantial evidence, but no body. On March 14th, Scott was ordered to open Evelyn's safe deposit box in order to locate a missing $57,000 from her account. Scott went to the bank with his lawyer and with the investigators, and when he opened the two envelopes inside of the safe deposit box, they were filled with sand. Oh. They're like, why why are they filled with sand? He's like, I didn't put that sand in there. Hmm. Scott played dumb. He's like, I don't know. I don't know how that sand got in her safe deposit box. Yeah. Or or why I've been trying to get in to get that sand. <laughs> I think he'd already been there. Yeah. He put that sand in there. Definitely. Detectives interviewed Scott's latest girlfriend, Marianne. He had taken her to San Diego and paid for their stay with checks signed by Mrs. L. E. Scott. Marianne told detectives what Scott had said about his wife deserting him and that she had mental problems. She also said that Scott told her Evelyn had once tried to poison him with arsenic in his coffee some years back. What? Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that's true. Yeah. When Scott was interviewed again two days later, he was unable to give a straight answer about his work history. His answers were vague, and he said a lot of I don't remembers. Investigators could prove that Scott was a phony, but they still couldn't prove he murdered his wife. Right. The canyon areas beyond the Scott house were probed for any sign of Evelyn's body. They even checked a cemetery where there had been open graves at the time of her disappearance. But the search turned up nothing. At the end of March, proceedings to to determine who should be in control of Evelyn's finances began. 
Evelyn's brother Raymond had filed a suit to gain control of the money. Scott did not appear, but his lawyer appeared in court to argue why his client should be trustee of his wife's estate. He filed a signed document from Scott stating that the stating the day that he last saw Evelyn and that he missed her very much. Mm. Evelyn's lawyer, Jim Boyle, was in court, and he didn't think Scott or her brother Raymond should be in charge of the estate. He's like, look, Scott's Scott sucks ass, but Raymond has issues. Yeah. Like financial issues. He had gone to prison for misusing his employer's funds. So that money will be gone. Probably. probably. Yeah. Yeah. And he also had a history of borrowing money and not being able to pay it back. Well, I mean, it definitely seems like a neutral party. That's what they decided yeah. on. So they decided that the Citizens National Trust and Savings Bank would be appointed the trustee of this money. The bank would now be tasked with determining if Scott had misused any of Evelyn's money and also determining how much he would have to pay back. Scott also had an upcoming hearing regarding that $6,000 he owed the printing company. They weren't letting that go. No. They're like, we don't care what you're going through. (laughs) Your emergency is not our problem. (laughs) What do they call that? Doesn't constitute a problem for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um. The, the company planned to interview Scott about his finances to make sure that when he paid them back, it wasn't coming from Evelyn's account. Um, I'm curious why, wouldn't the husband have the right to her money, though? Yes, yes. She had a lot of money lots of different places. Right. Because he had moved it. But let's say, like... She died of a heart attack, and everyone agreed this was natural causes. Wouldn't he automatically, outside of her having some other kind of will, get everything? Right. Right? I mean... But she's also not declared dead yet. Right. I honestly don't know. Yeah, it's confusing. I This was like the hardest part about writing this episode is because there's so many financial things in where I don't understand Right, and why. I don't know legally how it works, but I just assumed... The husband would get everything if she died naturally. Yeah. And I know there's, she is technically not dead, but it's interesting that there's a different process if they're just missing. It's well, still her money or something. And I think also the DA had urged Raymond to file any suit against... Right. So Raymond of, caused an issue by contesting something, yes. basically. And ultimately the judge was like, both these guys are not competent to... right handle her money, so we're putting it in a trust. Scott was then subpoenaed for a grand jury hearing for fraud and theft. The summons was solely about the financial fraud committed against Evelyn, not the possible murder. The summons ordered Scott to remain in Los Angeles ahead of the hearing. Scott's lawyer turned the case over to criminal defense attorney Frank Belcher. Less than a week later, the police chief told the LA Times that investigators had discovered Evelyn's dentures and eyeglasses, that they were now investigating a homicide. Then, a day before the April 24th grand jury hearings began, Scott bought a new car (gasps) at a used car lot in West LA. And on the day of the hearing, he went over to his girlfriend Marianne's house and gifted her with jewelry that had belonged to Evelyn. And this was like nice jewelry. Yeah. Like this wasn't costume jewelry. It was like diamonds and gold and well, shit. Well, if it was insured formerly, <laughs> it yeah. must be nice. The jewelry had been given to Evelyn by her late husband, 
Clem Pettit. Right. They drove to the hearing together because Marianne was called to testify. The last witness to testify was Tom Nobles. He was the used car salesman. They got that guy quick. Because he, what happened is, after Scott purchased the car, Tom Nobles went home. He was reading the newspaper, and he saw Scott's face on the... (laughs) What? (laughs) I just sold that guy a car. That's crazy. So he went to the DA. He's like, I just... This guy. Yeah. So they... Why would he buy a car? He's so brazen. He's very brazen. So Nobles testified in the courtroom that Scott said he needed this car for a, quote, emergency trip. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, that sounds very suspicious. (laughs) I like that he could have said any reason other than that. I just want a car. I love that. I've wanted this car for a while. (laughs) Like, why would you give anyone that information? And the stuff he did at the used car lot was very suspicious, too. Like, he was very adamant that they didn't put the new the new car sticker on the front of it. He's like, I don't want that sticker. Can we? Yeah. Do you got any out-of-state license plates? <laughs> no reason. <laughs> <laughs> the test, this testimony gave police reason to believe that Scott was planning on fleeing, and so he was arrested immediately after the hearing concluded. Damn. Two policemen, Xander and Hurdle, escorted Scott to the station, but before they escorted him to the station, they all went to a restaurant to have a nice meal. Really? <laughs> this is like something that still happens today. Oh my God. And they take this, like, this guy might be a murderer. And taking like, him, taking and him to a meal. <laughs> taking him to a fucking, no, they took him to a sit down <laughs> diner called Truman's in hmm. Westwood. And I'll have the Salisbury steak. <laughs> well, I do have a menu. I do have a menu for Truman's, and I figured we would end the episode by going over this menu. This is what they ate. This was a menu from the 50s. Soups. They got two soups. You got your old-fashioned navy bean soup for 30 <laughs> cents and the soup du jour for a quarter. Wow. Sandwiches served on a toasted bun. Hamburger served with pickle, onion, our special sauce. A cheeseburger deluxe. Barbecued beef sandwich. Barbecued ham sandwich. Grilled cheese sandwich on white toast grilled steak sandwich, grilled ham and cheese, grilled bacon with lettuce and tomato, tuna fish sandwich, and you can get a combination sandwich plate, the grilled steak special, cut tender beef served on a toasted bun with Suzy Q potatoes and cream slaw. Do you know what Suzy Q potatoes are? No. They sound cute. Everything comes with Suzy Q potatoes and cream slaw. I wonder, they must be like a kind of, I bet you they're kind of similar to steak fries. <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah. They seem like they'd be like thick cut potatoes. You can get a chef special, which is chicory, lettuce, tomatoes, toasted croutons, tossed with our special dressing, rolls, and butter served with shrimp. Wow. A fruit salad bowl. Mm. This place sounds good, honestly. It's a real basic diner type place, like a lunch place. Yeah, it's like a classic diner. Desserts, they have all kinds of, um, they have like more entree type things at this restaurant. Give me a second. Um, Fountain drinks. Of course. Special plates, fried fresh jumbo shrimp plate. Yum. Sure, served, 
served, Sh- served, served with, with sushi ku <laughs> potatoes and cream straw <laughs> and rolls. A fried half spring chicken prepared to order. I love when you get a spring chicken. I like when it's a spring <laughs> chicken too. I like that you get half of a fried chicken. You need a, you need a lot. You need a lot of pieces of chicken. Mm. Two eggs with ham or bacon. Grilled chopped beef steak served with fried onion rings. Ooh. Susie Q potatoes. They love those Susie Q potatoes. <laughs> it's like their signature Does it dish. have the little trademark circle after it? <laughs> it doesn't. Hot rolls and butter with cream slaw. Broiled New York cut. Will you look up Susie I'm Q? I'm doing that. Okay, thank you. I gotta you. know if broiled, it's a thing. Broiled New York cut sirloin steak served with Susie Q potatoes. <laughs> French fried boneless strips of trout. Mmm. Hot beef sandwich with potatoes and gravy. You can get a size of Suzy Q potatoes for 20 cents. <laughs> what are Suzy Q fries? I see. Maybe it's a style of fries. I think they're like curly fries. I'm really hungry for this place right now, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, they're curly fries, basically. They're cute. What, let me see. They look like little pigtails. Because they're curly cues. Yeah, they're curly cues. So that's the um, original curly fry. Look, Su- people, there's also like a hostess called a Suzy Q. Oh, yeah. I've had that. It's like a big old fat bar. I like the Suzy Q. I, I think that's with chocolate. It's Is chocolate it cake the and in the middle, it's like a um, sandwich. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I know that. I like that one, but I don't like it as much as I like the ho-ho. Ho-hos are the best. Ho-ho is my favorite Ugh, of all of them. I like a ding-dong, too. <laughs> I do like a ding-dong as well. But, but they're, they're all very similar. But the Susie Q's like, how about this? It's in a sandwich, but no chocolate coating. Remember, right. it's just the... It's just the no, I but like it's all the same. Coating. I like that waxy mm. <laughs> like that. I want to make a gourmet ho-ho. Oh my god! I mean, that's just like a, that's, a Swiss that's like roll. a Swiss roll cake or something, but like a mini one. Yeah, like that they're so cute. Bite size. No, I like I like the ho hos. Um, they're Swiss roll. They had two names, right? It's kind of like it's kind of like Best Foods Hellman's. I think they're called different things because there's the King Dong, and then sometimes what? it's a the Ding King Dong. Dong. I'm not kidding. You're joking. No, I'm. That's not. fake. Did you ever have the Chocodile? Wait a minute. No, back up. We're King Dong? <laughs> yeah, and he had a crown on his head. Like his dick? King what? Dong? No, it was a Ding Dong. But they call some places called it a King Dong? Maybe. You made this up. Maybe that was I'm the li- character's name. It's King Dong. <laughs> King Dong cake. Oh, you're right. See? But this is different than it. What's a Ding Dong then? The Ding Dongs, are they the dick? They're the circles. Why are they called King Dongs? I'm telling you. Now, the Chocodile, that was my favorite. No, everything I see for King Dong is like a, pictures of a donkey, on a like a King Kong with a big dick when I do no. Google images. Why is it? No, see? I'm telling you. Look, exactly what I said. That's a fake. That's fake. That's fake? King Ding Dong. King Ding Dong. I don't believe this. This is like somebody. No, no, it's true. Oh, King Don. There's no dong. It's King Don. Why would they not do the dong? <laughs> it's better <laughs> that it way. Sounds too dick. <laughs> well, I always said dong. Look, this is the only. 
See, King this is Don. this is an investigation for those guys on that podcast I was telling you about a couple weeks ago. Um, and Chocodiles were like tw- uh, Twinkies, but it had the chocolate coating on them. Yeah. I liked those too. I mean, I wouldn't eat any of these now. I never crave them, but I do like those Hostess cupcakes. That's yeah, probably yeah, my favorite. Yeah, I like those. Oh, man. I love that cream in the middle. I loved peeling that little curly Q white up mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. eating it separately. It's good. I, You know, there's foods you have to eat in a certain order. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's like deconstructing it. Yeah. And that the Hostess cupcakes is definitely one of them. I would love to make a gourmet Hostess uh, cupcake. I've... I've almost done it a million times. We should do it. Um, it's all easy, but there's a lot of steps. So that's why I haven't done it. Right. Because um, you got to make the cream, the cake, the chocolate. It's like the ganache. And then you have to do the curly cue. And you got to pipe it. You got to wait in between. Mm. Um, but I bet you it's, it's really good. Homemade ones. Yeah. Anyway, that's part two of L. Ewing Scott. We will return for our conclusion to this story. It goes down, and there's an epilogue that mm, mm. I had to save for next week. Okay. Looking forward, especially, I love an epilogue. I do, too, because <laughs> I like when there's get a little, ends tied up. Get a little ellipsis of time. We got an ellipsis of time happening next week. We okay. got a time jump. Great. Thank you very See much. See you next week. See you then. Bye.